We have a lot to talk about on the show today. Once again, yesterday was a hard day. It was a hard day to film. And from what you guys have told me, it was a hard show to watch. And it it really was. I think the situation in Israel is getting more horrific by the day because we're hearing more first-person accounts of the atrocities and the murders. And it just, I think at first you, you experience this shock when there is a terror attack to that extent, just unbelievable because you're thinking of the number of people. But after that first day, that number of people, whether it's 700, 800, 900, oh, it crossed the line to 1,000, you actually start thinking of those people as individuals as the first person stories start trickling in. And that, for me, makes it even harder. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the reaction from leftists in our country. I think um, many of us underestimated the left's hatred of Jews in this country, in the United States of America, And given the reaction from many on the left, they seem to be celebrating, not just excusing the Palestinian terrorists' murder of Israelis, they seem to be celebrating it. So we're going to talk about the origin of that and how to react to that and what it's all about. But before we do that, I want to start the show by reading you a tweet from Elizabeth Warren from Indigenous Peoples Day. So we did a special yesterday debunking the four lies that the left tells about Christopher Columbus. If you missed that piece, you can go. You can find it on rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. Highly recommend that you watch it. It's, it's, an, it's an annual special that we do because the left trots out their same narratives and talking points about Christopher Columbus every year. But apparently many cities across the country, you know this, we've talked about this before, have, don't even call it Christopher Columbus Day anymore. They call it Indigenous Peoples Day. Guess that's how they morally justify taking a day off of work as they are simultaneously vilifying Christopher Columbus. Well, for Indigenous Peoples Day, Elizabeth Warren sent out the following tweet, and I quote, on hashtag Indigenous Peoples Day, we celebrate the resilience, sovereignty, and rich cultures of native communities, but the federal government has long failed to fulfill its obligations to tribal nations. We must do more to honor and uphold our promises to native peoples says the woman who took positions at school and in jobs away from natives by pretending to be a native. Remember that time when Elizabeth Warren lied and claimed that she was a Native American because she said, I have high cheekbones and I contributed powwow chicken to a Native American cookbook and therefore I am one of the marginalized. I am a Native American. But then of course she took a DNA test and it turned out that she is one 1,024th Native American, which for anybody wondering makes her less Native American than the average American. Anybody walking down the street, you do a DNA swab of them, they are more Native American than Elizabeth Warren. And yet she has the gall to post this on Indigenous Peoples Day. We must do more to honor and uphold our promises to Native peoples. Well, how about you give opportunities back to Native Americans that you stole from them by appropriating their identity because you thought you had high cheekbones? The gall of this woman. Sometimes I just think, imagine if a Republican elected official had done this. Do you think of a Republican candidate, not a candidate, a Republican politician, Republican senator had lied the way Elizabeth Warren lied, had contributed pow-wow chicken to a Native American cookbook, and then now pretends to be an advocate for Native Americans? Do you think that that senator would have any political capital left? Of course not. Of course not. Because the left lets their own get away with everything, including apologizing for murder. So this is what I want to talk about today. And I know that this is a a heavy topic, but it's one that cannot be ignored because it has far-reaching implications beyond the, uh, the terror attack in Israel. The left often falsely accuses the right of indulging white supremacist viewpoints or even of being white supremacist. I mean, how often have we heard people like Hillary Clinton and, and, 
AOC and everyone actually call Republicans, whether it's voters, Trump voters or elected Republicans, call them Nazis and bigots and white supremacists. But it's become evident that the Nazi ideology that is festering in our nation is not festering among people in the Republican Party or among people who identify as right-wing or people who identify as red-pilled. Nazi ideology is being embraced by the left. And the question that I would pose to everyone watching this show tonight is how is cheering for the murder of women, children, elderly people, and families who were ripped from their homes and brutally murdered by terrorists. How is cheering for that? Because those people were Jewish, that's why they were targeted. How is that different than cheering for the Holocaust? This is a serious question. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at seven. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at eight. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at nine. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV channel 347, Uverse channel 1220, or DirecTV stream. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial wherever you download your favorite podcasts. It doesn't seem to me that there is any difference in the celebrations that we have seen pop up in cities all across the United States and in Western countries all around the world pretending solidarity with with Palestine when what they're celebrating is an attempted genocide of the Jews. It makes me sick to my stomach and the media and the Biden administration have already begun to sanitize this destruction. And it really does. I know that in politics, it's a huge taboo to use a metaphor or a comparison to the Holocaust in almost any circumstance. And ordinarily, I agree with that unwritten rule. Unless it's the Holocaust, you don't compare something to the Holocaust because nothing can be compared to the Holocaust unless it is the Holocaust. That's a pretty solid rule that most commentators can follow in good faith. But when we have the single deadliest assault on the Jewish people because they're Jewish, the wholesale slaughter of Jews because they're Jews, the deadliest mass murder of Jewish people because they're Jewish since the Holocaust, you have to wonder how left-wing politicians and activists in our country would have reacted had they been alive during World War II. Would they have spoken up? Would they have stopped this? Or would they, like they are today, been trying to sanitize the truth, disguising the horror, pointing their finger in blame at Israel as if Israel asked for this and deserves it, and putting Palestinian terrorists on a pedestal in the name of overthrowing oppression. We're gonna break all of that down and we're gonna start with Anthony Blinken and what and the tweet that he has since deleted. But first, so let's start with Anthony Blinken, Biden's Secretary of State. He posted the following tweet. He's since deleted this tweet, by the way. 
because people noticed that he posted it. This is what he said. He said, Turkish Foreign Minister Hakan Fidan and I spoke further on Hamas's terrorist attack on Israel. I encouraged Turkey's advocacy for a ceasefire and the release of all hostages held by Hamas immediately. A ceasefire? So let me get this straight. Israel has sustained the deadliest day since Jews were massacred during the Holocaust and you don't want them to defend themselves? You don't want them to fight back? You don't want them to decimate the terrorists who murdered their family, their children, their parents? You want them to just stand back and say, oh, okay, well now that the terrorists have gotten what they wanted, now that a thousand Israelis, and by the way, almost a dozen Americans have been murdered, we're just gonna, we're just gonna sit around and say, well, you got what you wanted, we're gonna let you have it. This is the most bananas reaction in the entire world. And it, it substantiates what we spoke about yesterday when I play that clip of Joe Biden saying, we stand with Israel, we support Israel, we will give them everything that they need. No, you won't. Your administration is already telling them preemptively that they cannot defend themselves, that they cannot go in and decimate Hamas. Imagine for a second, we also compared, we compared this terror attack in Israel to 9-11 because it is, it is, it is an apropos comparison. In fact, it's deadlier per capita for Israelis than 9-11 was per capita for Americans. In fact, if you, if you do the math, the number of Israelis that were murdered per capita would equal like 20 or 25,000 Americans being murdered all at once in a terror attack. Can you imagine that? And imagine if you had a secretary of state of the presidential administration, Bush was president at the time of 9-11, right? Imagine if you had Condoleezza Rice, who was his secretary of state, standing up and saying, you know what? Now that, now that Al-Qaeda and the Taliban have hijacked our jetliners, run them into the World Trade Centers, run them into the Pentagon, attempted to run them into the White House and the Capitol, thank goodness that one was diverted. Now that they've gotten what they want, we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna call for a ceasefire. We're not gonna go in. We're not gonna try to decimate the Taliban who gave safe harbor to, safe harbor to Al-Qaeda. We're not gonna try to find bin Laden. We're not gonna do any of that. We're just, what, what good is violence, right? Violence begets violence. It's a cycle of violence we don't wanna perpetuate. Imagine if someone had said that. Not even the most anti-American politician in this country at the time would have dared to say something so atrocious. And yet, as Israel is still finding the dead bodies of the people who have been murdered by Hamas, the US Secretary of State dares to suggest that they engage in a ceasefire. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. It's atrocious. And meanwhile, the media, as I predicted yesterday, has already begun to sanitize the violence and in order to blame Israel. In fact, if we could bring up this, this is a video. Israel, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, um, have begun strikes against Hamas strongholds in Gaza. And in this video, once you watch very closely, I'm gonna tell you what happens because it's a very quick video. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you might miss it. In this video, you will first see the explosions of these missiles hitting a mosque in Gaza, 
And then look what happens next. You see those two mushroom clouds, but what's coming up underneath those mushroom clouds? Those are secondary explosions. So what the media has done with this video, and you can watch it again, you can see what's happening. The two mushroom clouds are the original strikes by the IDF, and then underneath you see all of these secondary explosions. Well, the media is portraying this as, can you believe that Israel attacked a house of worship in Gaza? Can you believe that Israel desecrated a Muslim mosque? But what they're ignoring is what you and I just saw very clearly in that video. Those secondary explosions, what does that mean? What caused those secondary explosions? I'll tell you what caused them. Those secondary explosions were caused by all of the weapons, the missiles, the rockets, the firearms that Hamas was storing in the mosque. Storing in the mosque because they know if Israel bombs the mosque, they can say, oh, Israel, they're just out to try to discriminate against Muslims. They hide rockets and missiles and bombs in schools and in hospitals and in private homes and in houses of worship in order to use the Palestinian people as human shields because they know Israel is a humane nation. They know Israel is going to do everything in their power not to kill innocent civilians. And so the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, who officially governs this, this region, this Palestinian region, they take advantage of Israel's humanity. They take advantage of the fact that Israel is not going to do to them what they have done to Israel. And you could see it in that video. And yet the media, the media tells us that Israel is now doing the exact same thing that Hamas did to to the Jews in Israel. It is not, not true. The first person narratives that are beginning to emerge from Israel, I spent a good part of the day reading these first person narratives and I was bawling multiple times because you cannot read these stories and see this evil perpetuated by these terrorists against the Jews and not believe that we are in a bigger battle of good versus evil. There is no moral equivalency that would justify what I'm about to read you. A story of a young girl, one of the young girls who was at the music festival, all of her friends were murdered. She's one of the sole survivors and she wrote a first person account so people would understand exactly what they faced. I'm gonna read you that in just a second. I wanna read you part of a first person narrative of one of the young women who managed to escape with her life after the music festival. And I have to warn you, if you have children listening to this, you probably don't want them to hear this because this is one of the most traumatizing stories. This woman's name is May Hyatt. This is what she writes. So I went to work with my girlfriend, LaRon, at the bar in the Nova's party. The whole night and morning we were together. We had so much fun. There was a beautiful sunrise and we went back towards our trailer to drink coffee and rest. Then the nightmare began. Rockets started flying over our heads. The music was stopped and we waited for the situation to calm down so we could go home. Suddenly I got a call, a phone call from a friend who says that she and everyone who started driving back home from the party is being shot. I ran to the police officers closest to me and asked them to go and reinforce the people in the vehicles. But then we realized that there's so many terrorists in our area and they're very close to us. There was one big chaos. We went to hide in the police command room and we all sat down on the floor. Some people cried, some shouted, some had anxiety attacks and some were completely silent. I hugged everyone who cried and couldn't catch their breath, and Laurent helped the wounded while we were under attack. The noise of the gunshots began to get closer. The policemen stood in the doorway, ready with their weapons, and looked at each other with a frightened look and shouted to storm. 
They turned to us just before leaving the room and told us to run and pray. They, kept, they came out and got shot one after another. The terrorists fired bursts of gunfire at the room and for a moment, there was shocking silence. We left the room running to the battlefield and while I'm running, I turned back and I saw Laurent. She stayed there and didn't come with us. We tried our best and ran as fast as possible until we reached some ambulance and hid behind it. The shots came from every direction, to our right, to our left, behind us, and in front of us. I saw someone yelling at us, come here, it's safer. I ran towards him. No one came with me. Me and him continued running together until we saw a vehicle approaching us. It was one of the party members who offered us to get in his car and try to escape with him. We got on his car, and as soon as he started driving, the terrorists started shooting at us. We made a U-turn and drove to the other place, and we were shooted at there as well. We returned back to the place we were at the beginning and suddenly the car's wheel got stuck in the sand while we were still under fire. We ran out of the car until we noticed a hole in the ground. We entered inside, held hands and prayed. It was just the two of us. The guy who was driving the car disappeared. I told him, do you know the stories of the Holocaust in which people pretended to be dead so they wouldn't be noticed? This is what's gonna happen to us. He covered us with sand and we were silent for about an hour until we started hearing footsteps coming towards us and we prayed for a miracle. They found us, eight terrorists in front of both of us. I closed my eyes tightly because I was sure they were gonna shoot us. But then they grabbed us and lofted us from the ground. They took our phones and everything we had in our pockets. They announced in their walkie talkies, we have two more abductees. One of the terrorists started talking to me in Arabic and I told him I can't understand him. I didn't shout, I didn't go crazy, I became apathetic. He put his jacket around me while the rest were looking at me like I was a piece of meat because I was wearing a tank top. In one hand, he holds my hand, in the other, he holds a missile. We started walking and I saw they were looking on the floor for things like cigarettes and drinks, so I helped them, I didn't wanna resist. The guy who was with me didn't stop crying and begging for his life and I tried to explain to him that he needs to stop crying. It annoys them, stop crying, everything will be fine. They had knives and hammers. I realized we were in danger. At first he listened to me, but very quickly he returned to his initial and fell on his knees and again screamed and begged for his life. And then he didn't scream anymore. They murdered him in front of my eyes. I was left alone with them. One of them took a board and every few seconds hit me on the head. The other one was holding a knife and every few seconds approached me threateningly. It was important for them to humiliate me. The terrorist who held my hand shouted at them and took me under his wing. We started walking towards one of their cars and luckily their cars didn't start. The threatening terrorist with the knife, the one who a moment ago murdered the guy who was with me, said to me, if you try to escape, I'll kill you like I killed your friend. I remained standing and the terrorist who took me under his wing told me I can go. I didn't know what to do and in one moment I just started running. I stole a glance back and saw that no weapon was pointed at me so I continued to run like crazy. I hid under the stage of the party and laid down next to three dead people. I smeared myself with the blood I smeared myself with the blood that dripped from one of the bodies next to me and pretended to be dead for three hours. Three hours that felt like an eternity. Three hours where terrorists pass by me and shoot everywhere and burn every possible piece of land while rockets floated above my head. For three hours, I lay among corpses and wondered what will happen to me. And suddenly I started hearing people talk in Hebrew. I screamed loudly, help. These were the army soldiers. 
They came and took me to a trailer with paramedics, along with other survivors. In the background, the shooting continued, and in front of my eyes, I saw difficult sights, and I will spare you and will not describe them here. So it's true that they murdered my soul, and I hope that one day I will be able to heal it. But Laron, remember Laron from the beginning of the story, my girlfriend? They killed her. They killed my hero, and unfortunately, no one will be able to bring her back. And as we hear more of these first-person narratives that break your heart, this is what we hear from the left in our nation. Students at Harvard, 30 different student groups, are blaming Israel. 30 different student groups. We can show this on the screen, Shafil. This is element number five. Look at that, look at that list. 30 different official student groups. Sorry, I need to get a tissue. Thirty different student groups at Harvard officially affiliated with the university are condemning Israel for what happened. They said today's events did not occur in a vacuum. For the last two decades, millions of Palestinians in Gaza have been forced to live in an open-air prison. Israel officials promised to open the gates of hell, and the massacres in Gaza have already commenced. The apartheid regime is the only one to blame, they said. Harvard takes taxpayer money, your money and my money, particularly in the form of research grants and federally subsidized student loans. Our money, which goes to these officially affiliated with the university student groups that are blaming Israel for what I just read to you. We have journalists and professors and viral tweets like this one. This tweet's been viewed let me bring up this view's been this tweet has been viewed over five and a half million times. He said, Did some people just think Palestine had to like file paperwork or something to be freed? This is what oppressed fighting the oppressor looks like. In the minds of the left, once they have convinced themselves of this Marxist dialectic where everyone is either oppressed or an oppressor. It justifies, in their minds, evil. So when you hear the word revolution, when you hear the word overthrow, when you hear the word take back and justice articulated by leftists who believe in this Marxist dialectic, they're justifying the massacres in Israel. And they'll justify that in other parts of the world, including in our country as well. Element number seven. She says, what did y'all think decolonization meant? Vibes, papers, essays, losers. 
That tweet has been viewed 22 million times. This is the prevailing mindset of the left. We are not living in an era in our country where the Democrat Party is defined by JFK or even defined by Bill Clinton. This is what I was warning about in my book. Our institutions, including those on the left, have been co-opted by people who believe in an evil ideology, who think that the West is so bad, so evil, so illegitimate that it justifies them perpetuating scenes that I can only imagine exist in hell. And that brings us back to my original question. How is this different from cheering on or supporting the Holocaust? How is it different? The left always falsely accuses us of harboring some secret, racist, bigoted, hateful, white supremacist viewpoints. It's not true. It's an ugly, ugly accusation. And yet the only people who are participating in a Nazi ideology, a genocidal Nazi ideology, are the left in our country. Hamas announced yesterday that they'll begin executing the hostages that they are still holding, including Americans, Israelis and Americans, live on television with audio and video for every Israeli airstrike that kills a Palestinian civilian. And remember, Hamas uses Palestinian civilians as human shields. They hold up children in front of their bodies so that when Israel strikes the terrorists, the child is struck first so that they can use the body of that dead child, give it that photo to the media and say, we are being victimized by Israel. But this is what Hamas says they're going to do. Take a look at this. To put an end to this, From this moment on, we announce that any targeting of innocent civilians without warning will be met, regretfully to say, by executing one of the hostages in our custody. And we will be forced to broadcast this execution. We regret this decision they will be forced to broadcast that execution. And yet they're the victims, according to the left. So what's going to happen? What is Israel going to do? What is the U.S.? What what role do we have in this particular conflict? Washington, D.C. has no idea. Washington, D.C. claims that they were as caught off guard as the Israeli government. But what should be done here? Should we de-escalate the way that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken says that we ought to de-escalate? Should Israel not defend herself? I want to read to you what Israel should do. This was written by a dear friend of mine, one of the most brilliant people in the entire conservative movement. Josh Hammer is one of my dearest friends in the conservative movement. He's one of the most brilliant constitutional lawyers I know, and he was off the grid for the Jewish holiday when the attacks in Israel happened. And when he returned online, he wrote his entire thoughts on the matter, which I highly recommend you read in its entirety. I posted it on my Twitter account, x.com slash Liz underscore Wheeler, because you can and you should read it. But I want to read to you just a selected part of how he says Israel should respond. This is what Josh says. Here's what Israel should do. First, immediately evacuate as many identifiable civilians, no easy task, as possible from Gaza. Work with Egypt to take them in, 
ideally with diplomatic carrots and sticks, but if need be, a refugee swarm on the border fence and forcing Egypt's hand might be inevitable. Second, flatten and raise to the ground anything remotely smacking of jihadist infrastructure in Gaza. Large swaths of Gaza should resemble a parking lot. The extent to which the entirety of Gaza and Hamas terror infrastructure, tunnels, rocket launchers, etc., are synonymous cannot be overstated. They are largely one and the same, with the terror infrastructure embedded within quote-unquote civilian buildings. Every effort must, of course, be made while the operation is proceeding to locate and evacuate hostages, dead or alive, most of whom will likely be in the subterranean terror tunnels. This is a severely complicating factor, tragically. Do not cease until every single member of Hamas and every single bit of infrastructure has been eradicated. However long it takes, it takes. So be it. Enough is enough. Quote-unquote, mowing the lawn, as the IDF has called it, must finally end. In its way, it is way, way past time for definitive action. After that, Israel must formally re-annex Gaza. The 2005 disengagement was a catastrophic mistake that needs to be reversed. After re-annexation, there will need to be a military occupation to ensure it does not go off the rails once again. Israeli security and intelligence apparatuses should then ensure the installation of a puppet regime, not Hamas, but crucially, also not the Palestinian Authority, likely led by some sort of Arab Zionist faction. Mossad then needs to start taking out the actual top Hamas leaders in Doha. Ideally, we will also start to see a lot of top Iranian re uh, regime figures and assets start to, quote, mysteriously disappear in Tehran as well. What happens here appears to have been an act of war from the Iranian regime, Hamas was merely a convenient conduit. After that, Israel will have to reassess how the hell the worst intelligence failure in the state's history happened. There is much, much work to do to clean house to try to rescue the security intelligence services once vaunted badass reputation. Were Israeli agents too distracted by their zeal to color revolution Bibi Netanyahu this year under the guise of judicial reform? Did Iran infiltrate Israel's security apparatus as it did with Robert O'Malley and company here in the United States? Who knows? The next few weeks are going to be brutal, Josh Hammer writes, even more so if Hezbollah formally joins the fight from Lebanon, thus ushering in the IDF's nightmare scenario of a two-front war. If you think that the Jewish state's right to survive and thrive is somehow equivalent or you have a bullshit urge to everyone calm down or both sides this thing to the genocidal death cult of Hamas, whose founding charter in 1988 literally calls for the annihilation or annihilation of Israel and the death of every Jew worldwide, then you can F right off and hit the unfollow button. Good riddance. Enough is enough, Josh writes. May the hostages in Gaza be safely rescued. He's exactly right. And I would just like to remind conservatives on our own side that supporting some wars or giving aid to some countries in pursuit of a just war to defend their right to exist does not make you a neocon. I understand the overcompensation of some on the right after the forever wars under the Bush administration, Afghanistan, 9-11, the neocons like Dick Cheney and Liz Cheney who never saw a war they didn't like. Hillary Clinton's included in that, although she's hardly a conservative. I understand the inclination to not want to get involved in anything outside of our own country, but that is not proper foreign policy. Proper foreign policy is analyzing the interests of the United States in individual wars, meaning what is the United States' interest in a border dispute between 
Ukraine and Russia, nothing. But the United States' vital interest in supporting Israel is not only because Israel is our primary ally in the region and without Israel, that entire Middle East would be completely blanketed with regimes like Iran, who not only are calling for the death of Jews and the annihilation of Israel, but are calling for death to America as well. But also, history repeats itself. History that many of our grandparents witnessed when Jews were wholesale slaughtered during the Holocaust just because they're Jews. And we're on the verge of that happening again. There is another evil enemy in our world who is trying to inflict the same genocide once again on the Jewish people because they are the Jewish people. And we cannot allow that to happen. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.